0: Well, we are returning to our morning series of the book of Philippians this morning uh, by looking at chapter 3. So, if you'll, I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And today we are going to look at verses 17 uh, through 19. I would like to read uh, through 21, but the focus of the sermon will be on uh, 17 through 19. So, Philippians chapter 3, beloved, beginning in verse 17. And before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father and our God, we are sojourners in this age, in this earth, as we sojourn towards the resurrection. And as we are strangers and aliens in this world, we are bombarded on all sides by philosophies of the world, by empty promises that come from the world by false teaching, by heresy, by lies that are built upon lies. Father, we are inundated with the claims of the world and the claims of those who follow after the evil one. And so, Father, we pray that as your people who cling to the truth that is revealed in your word, we pray, Father, that you would give us a hard And solid rock upon which to stand. We pray, Father, that as we hear the word read and proclaimed this morning, as the gospel goes out, we pray, Father, that you would increase our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us a solid foundation upon which to live. May we imitate Jesus Christ as we hear the gospel proclaimed. We pray that you would do this good work in your people to the praise of your glorious grace. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, beloved, this is the word of God. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. In this section, Paul is concerned about replication replication, imitation, reproducing replicas of an original. I almost named the sermon Christian doppelgangers. I thought that might be going too far. But that is what this passage is concerned with, replication, repeating or replicating something of the original. This is not the first time he has touched upon this particular subject. In chapter 2, Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to show in the wonderful Christ hymn of chapter 2 how Christ thought and how that thinking of Christ led him to do what he did, which was to take on human flesh and to die, to become like man, to suffer unto death and be crucified for us, even death on a cross, that is what... It is referred to as in that Christ hymn. There in his stress on unity in the body, Paul wanted to see in the church the mind of Christ replicated, imitated in the church. Have this mind among yourselves. Think like this. Think and act like this. That is what he said in uh, chapter 2. Here, there is a call to replication again. But this time, he begins with himself as the original, rather than Jesus Christ. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Now, Paul, of course, did not think of himself as superior in any way to the other members of the church. He was not prideful. He was not haughty. Rather, he thought of himself and his service as what? As a drink offering. He even said it this way in chapter 2 again. He said he considers his service as a drink offering poured out on the sacrificial offering of the faith of the Philippians. And so on that section, we learn that it was the faith of the Philippians that took center stage in Paul's mind, even as an apostle. I'm a drink offering. I'm but a part of what you sacrifice, what you give on behalf of Christ. And so he was, again, he was not arrogant. He was not prideful. He was humble. And so Paul did not think of himself in in any way superior to the other members of the church when he tells them to imitate him. Nor did Paul think that he could boast in himself as he says says these things. He said, we glory in Jesus Christ. Now, why did he think this about Christ? Because Paul knew if there was anything good in him, if there was anything good in him to imitate, ultimately, It wasn't because of him, ultimately, it was because Christ was working in him, because Christ's spirit was at work in Paul. And so Paul can have confidence to say, imitate me, because he's following Christ. Ultimately, it was Christ who was at work in Paul. Paul says elsewhere in his writings, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so Paul glories in Christ at the end of the day. He doesn't glory in what he, he does. He knows that it's ultimately because of his Lord who is remaking him into his image. Now Paul, however, and so Paul, again, he's not, he doesn't feel himself superior to the others in the church, nor does he think that he can boast about the good that was in him that should be imitated. Now, Paul, however, even though he follows Christ and he knows that Christ is at work in him, he doesn't modify this command. He just says, be imitators of me. He says, follow me. Well, in what way? Well, the Philippians were to imitate his attitude and thinking. And what was that? Well, for Paul, his prize in life was what? His his prize in life was not earthly things. Though certain we can be certain that Paul enjoyed the earthly things that he was given. But that was not his ultimate prize. His prize in life was the resurrection. That's what he strained forward towards. That's That's what he looked forward to, to experiencing. At the resurrection, Christians will know Christ in body and soul, in a new age, in a way that we've never truly and fully known before because we still live in broken bodies. We still live with imperfected souls. And so there's a barrier to the way in which we can actually enjoy Jesus Christ. At the resurrection, all of those things will be gone. For Paul, that was his prize. He looked forward to that. He wanted that. Until that day, Paul... Until that day came, Paul wanted to know Christ more and more, however, in this age, even as he dealt with sin, even as he dealt with the broken body, he still wanted to know Christ more and more. And since he had not yet reached the finish line, he was still running. He told the church this, but he was not running alone. Again, this is how Paul thinks. Now it takes a certain measure of sincerity, does it, sincerity, does it not, to have the confidence to come right out and say, "Be imitators of me." When he thinks this way, that means he really means it. And he lives by it. He proves it to the church, the way he lives. And so this is how Paul thinks. He wants to know Christ more and more until the resurrection, until that day comes, he's still running. But he was not running alone. So long as he lived and breathed on this earth, Paul was running forward towards that prize alongside other Christians. He was not alone. He was running with the church. And so these are things, this is how Paul thinks. This is how Paul operates. This is how he regards others in the church as fellow runners. In fact, Maybe even runners who are running ahead of him at times. He is a drink offering poured out on their faith, but he is not superior to them. He is running alongside them, and, his, and so he says, Brothers, my fellow Christians, that's why he uses this term. My brothers and sisters in Christ, think this way. Imitate me. Imitate my stride. Imitate my thinking. This is a a message, this is a, a command to the church out of love. He loves the church. Think like this. Now what was Paul ultimately doing by confessing that he had not yet crossed the finish line, not yet attained resurrection glory, that he, is, he had not yet become perfect? Paul was lowering himself before others. He was not puffing himself up. Now, on one hand, he's asking the church to imitate him in his thinking. On the other hand, he's showing them what to imitate be humble <laughs> do not be haughty do not be prideful i'm not done you shouldn't think that you are done either this is what he wanted them to imitate lowering lowering him lowering himself before others which is what christ did have this mind among yourselves this is what he wanted them to imitate that is this is thinking and doing that is influenced ultimately and stamped by the cross of Christ. Verse 18. Those in the church who are continually becoming like Christ in his death, that is what we are after, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ who was crucified. And so we continually lower ourselves. And so to have the cross lead you, have your life be stamped by the cross, be influenced by the cross, it will be very difficult to have an air, if you do this properly, sincerely, it will be very difficult to have an air of superiority over others. Acting as if you have already become perfect. The cross of Christ kills that attitude, or should kill that attitude. This is where Paul was. This is how he thought, as a leader in the church, as an apostle in the church, He let the cross determine how he thought, how he acted. Now, the Judaizers Judaizers mentioned at the beginning of this chapter, they certainly would think otherwise. They would not think like Paul. They would actually consider themselves as having nearly attained perfection. They were prideful. They were haughty. This, This was the case with the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They said things like this. We are sons of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anything. Think how prideful that statement is. Jesus was talking about slavery to sin. This is how they respond. We have never been enslaved to anything. We are pure. We are perfect. That's the kind of attitude that was in the Pharisees. It would be the same kind of attitude that was in the false teachers of of Paul's day as well they congratulated themselves on their own righteousness that they had from the law they were not concerned about seeing Christ replicated in the world they did not want to see that happen in the world they would rather see like to see little versions of themselves repeated in the world they want to see themselves imitated so that they might get glory they don't want Christ to get the glory they want they want the glory and so they're after replication too it's a different kind, but certainly they want to see not Christ imitated, but themselves imitated. Remember, though, that Paul says that they were evildoers. Now, we have teachers like this present in the church today in every generation. We always will. The enemies of the cross in Paul's day were close enough to the Philippians that. He directly warned his hearers to look away from them. And so there was a threat that they might be influenced by them. That's how close they were. And so he says, keep your eyes off of them. Verse 17, keep your eyes on those rather who walk according to the example that you have in us. And so in this context, Paul is the original. He's the original after which he wants the members of the church to imitate. And so he's saying, keep your eyes off these enemies of the cross and, and look, look to the ones that you should properly imitate, which was Paul and uh, others. Paul, we see here, has spiritual sons who think and act like he does. We've already met two of them, Epaphroditus and Timothy. He took some time to highlight some of their good characteristics. They were presented in this letter as examples to follow. These are these are. These are examples. These are the ones you are to imitate and follow. Be like. Don't be tempted to look away from the godly examples that you've been given here and look at others and so be influenced by them. That's the danger. That's the danger that the church is always in. If our eyes drift toward ungodly people, toward self-righteous, hypocritical teachers, false teachers, then we will naturally become like them because our eyes are on them. And so Paul says, be mindful of where you look. Be mindful of what you put your eyes on. Look away from those who are enemies of the cross and look to the examples, the godly examples that you have been given. Now the walk that Paul refers to here is, of course, a person's whole life. Their overall approach to every area of life. That is your walk. That's our walk. For Paul, his walk was marked by humility. For Timothy and Epaphroditus, same thing. It was Christ-like humility. Now, of course, as Paul said, they weren't perfect. But overall, when you assess their lives, that's what you get. That's what people would see. Humility. Self-sacrifice on behalf of others, quiet, humble, loving service over and over and over again. That was Paul, that was Timothy, that was Epaphroditus. That is who the others in the church were to look at and to imitate. Now notice how already this kind of Christ-like behavior and thinking was being replicated in Philippi. Paul says, be imitators of me. So you have one Christian doppelganger, one replication of Jesus Christ in the Apostle Paul. He's an imitator of Christ. Paul was one. Then he says there were good examples in the church that were given to them. He's most likely here talking about Timothy at the very least. Timothy is mentioned at the beginning of this letter. Timothy is presented in the middle of this letter as a good Christian man to follow, whose walk one should follow. We could easily include Epaphroditus in this as well, and his example, the example you have in us. And so there were other imitations of Jesus Christ in the church. Paul being one, Timothy another, Epaphroditus, certainly we could include in that list as well, but probably others as well. And so there's Paul, his spiritual son, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they were all imitators, they were all replicators of Jesus Christ, of his humility of Christ-like thinking and doing. But there were others also, more imitators, more replicas. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so there was us. Paul was talking about himself, most likely Timothy, maybe other apostles. Those are the examples, but then he's talking about others who walk like them. And so there's others who are imitating these other imitators, these initial imitators in the church. And so Paul says, look to them. Timothy, Epaphroditus, they're not the only ones. There are others who follow them, who catch on and imitate what they do. They, they follow in love, as Timothy and Epaphroditus do. So there were other Christians, other Christians leaders perhaps, either in the church or close enough to the church that their lives were on display and the church could follow them, imitate them. Now, you might be asking right now, well, who are they? How do we know the good examples from the bad? How do we know today where to look in the church? Well, you know. You know. We know. We know who to look after. We know what to imitate and what not to imitate. We know the poor things in ourselves, our own failures, our own sins. We would rather not like to be imitated in our children, in our spouses. You know, you know what to look for. We know what to look for. Paul says, follow them. Keep your eyes on them. Imitate them. Paul assumes his hearers would know. Keep your eyes on them, he says, and imitate them. Now, one of the reasons, one of the sad reasons that Paul gives for this command is in verse 18, he says, For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. In other words, there are those who claim the name of Christ. They put the name of Jesus on their lips. They are false teachers, they are hypocrites, They appear righteous, they appear blameless, when in reality they are nothing more than wolves in sheep's clothing. They will always be present. They will always be near enough to us that they can influence us, or possibly influence us. They are insincere, they do not believe. Not only this, they get close to us. Their teachings reach our ears through social media, through podcasts. Their books find their way onto our shelves. Paul says, Look away from them. You know who they are. Don't pay attention to them. These types of people were close enough to the Philippians, and the threat was real enough that Paul felt compelled to give this warning. That's how close they were. And that's how close they are in every generation, even today. Their message, their presence was attractive enough that Paul felt compelled here to remind his hearers of their ultimate destination. It's it's not that we can always detect who they are right off the bat, always and without mistaking them. They're attractive at times. Their teaching is attractive. If it wasn't attractive, it wouldn't be a threat, but it's attractive. And so Paul felt the need to make this declaration about them, but also about their destination, to remind them of the destination of these false teachers and people like them. The destination of these pretenders and people who follow them. He says their end is destruction. While we, as Christians, are running towards a prize, the prize of eternal life, the prize of resurrection glory... These charlatans are running headlong toward destruction. Paul is not talking about just physical destruction. He's not talking about a speed bump in the road or jail time. He's talking about spiritual destruction. Often false teachers and heretics will live long, prosperous lives. No, he's talking about spiritual destruction. In fact, he talks about resurrection glory in the next couple of verses and so the counterpart to that is eternal shame this is the full weight of the wrath of god poured out upon these false teachers in hell spiritual destruction that is their end now this is certainly a serious charge is it not and we might respond to this by thinking well i thought we as christians were we are supposed to love our enemies we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us Isn't that the case? Well, yes, we are. Of course, we are. That is Christ like. To not respond to hatred with more hatred, but respond with grace, with mercy, with prayer. Father, convict them of their sin. Father, have mercy upon them, for they know not what they do. Of course, we are to do that. At the same time, we are not called to be foolish, we are not called to be naive. The New Testament writers affirm over and over again that the church would consistently be plagued by false teachers and that these individuals are destined for destruction. Their end is destruction. Their end is not very near to destruction. It could possibly be destruction. Paul says their end is destruction. Peter says their destruction is not asleep. It's certain. And... It's appropriate, if you think about it, they take the name of Jesus on their lips. They blaspheme him. I think that's a fitting end for people who would do this and seek to lead others astray. Even though they now enjoy themselves, enjoy temporary earthly pleasures and comforts, Paul says in the end, they will undergo everlasting shame. Do not look at them. (laughs) Pay no attention to them. Paul gives us here as reminders of their character traits of, the, of these types of people. They are foolishly proud. They glory in their shame. They mock God. And not only do they mock God, they boast about it. They glory in it. Their minds only think about earthly things. They do not truly think about heaven. They think about only what they can get here on earth. Glory from man, worldly comforts, worldly pleasures, They are driven by fleshly, sinful impulses. Their belly is their God. This is a reference to the the center, the heart of their desires. They want to fill their sinful appetites. That's all they care about. And yet they will never be satisfied. They will never gobble up enough of this earth, of the pleasures of this world, to where they feel like they're done. They're never satisfied. They're, They're always hungry. Their God is their belly. Those who look to them become like them. Paul weeps over this. Now, not just a few of these people are out there, but many, many, I tell you, with tears, Paul says, in my eyes walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, we can understand Paul's emotion here, can we not? He shows something similar in Romans 9. He says, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart, for I myself could wish I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, the Israelites. How could people so close to the glory of the gospel, so rich in a theological heritage as the Israelites were, how could they not accept it? How could they not be changed by it? It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. With tears in my eyes, Paul says, these people, they speak about Christ. They talk about Jesus. They have the Bible. It's right there. Some of them are trained in this. And yet... They're enemies of the cross. How could that be so? When this is, we've already seen how beautiful of a message the gospel is—that this Christ, who was equal with God, would become like us and suffer death, even death on a cross—and they reject that. With tears in my eyes, these people are enemies of the cross, of Christ. Look away from them, he says. Now we still, again, we feel we feel this today. We should feel this sorrow at the kind of manipulation that comes from these false teachers, these heretics of every age. Paul, People who put the name of God and of Christ on their lips, but their message and their lifestyle, their walk, are in direct opposition to the gospel. Paul assumes we will recognize them one way or another. We may be deceived for a time. But ultimately, we know who those are. Now friends, this reality, the reality that individuals and those who follow him are headed towards destruction, it should make us all the more eager to be imitators of people like Paul. Our end is not destruction. It's glory. It's resurrection glory. We will be raised. He will transform our bodies. He gives us that assurance in the next couple of verses. That is not our end. Why would we spend time looking at them? Why would we spend time thinking, these are people I want to imitate. We want to imitate. Do you see what he's saying here? It should encourage us all the more as Christians who are on a different path and are headed towards a different end to be all the more eager, all the more passionate to replicate People like Paul, to be like him, to follow his walk, to be like Timothy, to give ourselves over to loving one another with Christ-like love. All those who are friends of Jesus Christ, fellow partners in the gospel, we do not oppose the cross. We hold the message of the cross high above our heads. It's like a banner for us. We want to see the power of the cross of Christ convict people. We want to see the cross... Convict lost and hardened sinners so that they too might become humble like we have become and are becoming still. That is, we're not afraid of the cross. We hold it high. We live, we live out from that message. We want to see it have an impact on us, on our children, on the people we come into contact with. This is who we are. We are friends of the cross. We boast in the cross. We hold it out for people to see by what we say and by how we live. Now, since is is who we are, friends, as imitators of men like Paul, like Timothy, we do not oppose the cross. We pick up that cross, and we die every day. We die to our selfish pride. We die to our sinful impulses. Our God is not our belly. Our God is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are led by him. We are not led by our sinful appetites. We let the cross kill our selfish pride. We let the cross kill our selfish and sinful impulses. We die to our temptations to seek only after earthly things. We die to our sinful flesh. We crucify the lingering desires within us that we have to be our own gods, to be our own lords. We crucify those things. We seek to crucify those things so that... The cross of Christ, his love, and his self-sacrifice would reign in our hearts, would be replicated in our lives. That is who we are. Paul's essentially, again, telling these Christians, be who Christ has made you to be. Be imitators of the very people that he's placed before you that are Christ-like, humble. Walk in humility. Walk in Christ-like love. This is what we are after. This is what it means, friends, to replicate Paul's mindset, Paul's life, and others who do the same. May we do the same as well to the praise of God's glory. Let's pray together, friends.